Hello and welcome to Fringe Binge, Daily Doses from the Edinburgh Festival. I'm your host, Phil Ellis, and I'm back. That's right, I'm not dead. Call off the search, I'm here, don't you worry. Cancel the helicopters, I don't know, don't know what they do with the search. Probably people looking for me, it'd just be one uh, one bloke in a stick. Have a little forage around for half an hour uh, near my house and then give up. But you know, anyway, thanks for trying, Jeff. First of all, I'd like to apologise for not doing a follow-up episode to episode 20 as promised. Uh, that would have been episode 21 for uh, all you uh, sticklers for professionalism out there. The top and bottom of it is basically, uh, I had some great guests lined up, but it's the last few days of the festival, everybody's suffering from fatigue, uh, the nominations have come out, some of the guests have been nominated, so understandably, they couldn't do the podcast. It becomes such a whirlwind time, you've got so many meetings, uh, you're rushing around from place to place, and you, you want to make sure your show's as good as possible, so... Uh, you know, the offer of coming to sit with me for an hour and a half during a very busy day uh, in the assembly bars, the roof nearly blew away, wasn't quite as tantalising an offer as I thought it was. Thank you so much to everybody who has tuned in each day. You've shared and liked and subscribed and done all the stuff, left us nice reviews. It really did mean an awful lot. It was such a daunting project, really, I suppose. I was editing for three hours every morning, then going out there and trying to get people to come into my cave to watch my show and working on that. But you guys and the support really kept us going. And yeah, we'd like to thank you all. That's not the end, though, guys, because you're going, Phil, is that it? Is that how you thank us? Well, first of all, we are going to catch up with those amazing guests. We're going to do some post-Edinburgh interviews. And what I'm thinking of doing is adapting the podcast so I can interview people. When I'm gigging up and down the country, I'll pick a person each week to interview a comedian. They could talk about their experiences, their life on the road, and maybe their Edinburgh experiences. So I can try and shoehorn in the title somehow. So don't you worry, there's plenty more to come. Just please do add us on social media at FringeBingePod on Instagram or Twitter. I recommend Instagram because I do the Twitter account and it's not good. It's not good. So you're thinking, that's it, Phil, is it? Is that the kick in the face you give us? We waited for days. You just disappeared. You ghosted us. Well, no, because I've got a surprise for you. My final interview that I did in Edinburgh was with Stuart Laws. Yeah, Stuart Laws. This is an amazing interview. Stuart is not just a comedian, not just a writer, not just a director, not just a producer, not just the owner of Turtle Bay Canyon Production Company. Not only a great lover, he's also a great friend. This is a great insight into how somebody who works in comedy in so many different areas basically does it. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, we all wish I'd worded that sentence a lot better, but I'm trying to keep this a nice flowing intro. So anyway, let's crack on. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview, so sit back and relax. Put your feet up and pour yourself a nice cup of vodka. Thanks for listening. Or tea, you don't have to drink alcohol. Whatever you're doing, enjoy this interview with the perfect Stuart Laws. Stuart, can I get your levels, please? Hello, I just had uh, some food with Esther Manito and Lily Phillips. I had duck pancakes. Duck pancakes before 2pm? Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? It's Never done it before. Edinburgh. Yeah. I had a croissant after 11pm the other day. After 11pm? Imagine that's the latest anyone's had a croissant. Well, I was eating uh, roast chicken thighs at 1.30am that I'd cooked. Fuck. You cooked them at 1.30am? No, well, I started cooking them at 1230 
Right. So they were really dry. <laughs> so dry. You like to dry yourself out before sleep. I do. I God, do. I better get to sleep because I've got a headache coming. Really heavy and dry. <laughs> so that I have the worst sleep possible <laughs> <laughs> with stomach cramps. <laughs> I'm, I'm joined in the assembly uh, bar. And uh, we're very close to the, the roof of the assembly bar being taken off. Yeah. And I'm here with Stuart Lawson. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to carry on with that whimsy. No. <laughs> no, we'll stop at that. Hello, Stuart. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Yeah. It's but been a while, hasn't it? It has been a while. We lived together in 2019. We lived together in 2019. You were pretending to be upset that we're not living together this year. Yeah, that was a little bit that I did. It was quite fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I like that. I've got a feeling you were the first to, to duck out of that WhatsApp group. <laughs> <laughs> I think I messaged that WhatsApp. I was the last person to message it. Oh, I think you were, yeah, Just yeah. like a little bit of fun thing. I thought, oh, this will be nice. Sunil, Nick, Phil, they'll join in and then no reply. And I thought, you know what, I'm out. <laughs> I can't handle this. I thought I was the cool one of the group. <laughs> Have you ever been the last one to leave a WhatsApp group? That yeah, must that be the brutal. most painful thing. It assigns thing. admin to you and you're like, oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> it's still you changed the picture. Yeah. <laughs> Rename the group. <laughs> When was your first year then, Stuart? Because you, I, my uh, day I've was got 2013. 2013 with Apocalypso. Well, that okay. So I did a show, a solo show and a double act that year, and then my right. friend who I do the double act with, um, and he, we still write comedy together. He um, he hated it so much <laughs> that he was like, I never want to go back to Edinburgh. Really? Was that yeah. so? He's just he just quit. Did he quit comedy full stop? Or did he, he doesn't. Just yeah, he doesn't do comedy full time. But he we're doing we're still doing a double act. We, we but we uh, we localize it to weekend festivals or nice right. gigs in London. What's the name of the sketch group? This new one's called Preppers. Um, what? Um, but the solo show is called Stuart Laws. Absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Brackets one hour show that year and it was poorly received really uh, it was at the dragonfly which is a cocktail bar on yeah, PBH dragonfly Free that's also yeah pbh free fringe that's just past the grass market yeah it, up the hill um i've never been in that venue it always, it always sounds really nice what's it like the room it's sort there? of like a room that's not designed for comedy perfect um that it, it's so sort of misshapen little nooks in it it was nice i enjoyed it and it was like there were no sound bleed and that's yeah, yeah. and like but people would have to come and see it but like they'd have to because you've got to walk out your way haven't you to get there yeah yeah it's a little bit it's just it's not even that far away it's just up there there's no other venues past it yeah so you're not going to get a footfall of people going up um, yeah. your show uh, so why was it so poorly received so who, who came to review you <laughs> I think Fest came that year mm. I don't think I actually had many reviews I think I had maybe Fest and three weeks maybe three weeks three weeks mm. gave it a four but I read the review and it didn't sound like they'd seen the show. So to say, even the good review, I couldn't take like positively. I was just like, yeah. oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh no! Well, um, what was the bad? What was Fest Mags? Was that Fest was just like he's just not that f- funny. Um, oh, and, and Broadway Baby, Broadway Baby called me an amiable Aussie. Wow. Yeah, and then the next year they returned after that two-star amiable Aussie review to um, give me a one-star and call me a bully. <laughs> <laughs> So I went from being an amiable Aussie <laughs> to a bully in the space of a year. What a rollercoaster <laughs> year that had been. Eh? A, a what kiwi- happened to him in those 12 months? <laughs> a kiwi bully. <laughs> I used to love using the quote from uh, Broadway Baby from that first show, which was the first line was, Paul Ellis's show is a series of errors. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just the best. You can't get better than that, really, is a Paul quote. So you came up in 2013 to, uh, to obviously, obviously no um, acclaim. acclaim at all. Yeah. Uh, your friend, as a result, quit comedy. Yeah. But you returned the following year yeah. with your uh, bully show. <laughs> got one, got my, my one star from Bully yeah. Baby. Good, good. That yeah. was the first review in that year. Really? That could hit you. Like, I'd say that I'm fairly sort of like relaxed about all that stuff. I'm not that bothered about it. Mm. But there is like when you see it's come in and you have a quick read of it, because even though you say to everyone, don't read reviews, you read them yourself. There is a 10 minute section where you just go, oh, okay. Yeah. I feel awful. And people are going to be there because there's no way that year that other comedians aren't seeing that a one star's come in and not reading it. Yeah, I mean, I genuinely have not seen any reviews of my show this year. Really? Let's talk about how awful the standard of reviewing is. Well, it, I thought it got better for a while. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know this yet. I really have not read any reviews because I know they won't be good. If I, if I knew they were good, don't get me wrong. I'd be all like... Yeah, you'd love you'd 2019, be I was refreshing my name every two seconds because <laughs> I knew it was an absolute banger. <laughs> I'd say there's a lot of weird focus in reviews on, like explaining content or like drawing conclusions about what the show is about beyond what the material has actually expressed yeah. and i just think the review should be focusing on whether it's funny whether it's compelling and not explaining what the show is about yeah so there's a lot yeah like or you what say, they the, think it's about because mm. they're wrong a lot of the time and they're yeah it's interesting when they get very personal about the performer yeah but to the point that you go well how's the performance not yeah. You don't have to go about the the person themselves. What you because you've got to remember that person you're seeing isn't yeah. necessarily the person you're now reviewing. Yeah. You're talking about because I'm different on stage and I yeah. am off stage. You're different on stage, so it's obviously to go. He is this that the other go. Well, he isn't. Yeah, yeah. He wants you to think he's that. Yeah. He wants you. So you've got to look at it. Why are they doing that? Yeah. How good is that level of performance? And it doesn't get across the material. Yeah. It's there's a, it's quite an obtuse approach a lot of people and also you've got to remember they're really young a lot of people yeah not to say young people cannot be things on another level but there's a lack of experience i think with seeing shows yeah well, yeah that they don't quite know what they're doing but i'd say over the I, th I don't know how many times i've been reviewed ever but maybe not that many times but maybe like mm. 20 times over the course of six or seven shows mm. maybe 25 so i'd say there's maybe two or three reviews where i've read it and gone like ah I feel like they've got a good grip of what I was trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And like, or like what the show is. And that doesn't mean that they're like, that is necessarily good, good reviews. There was like a three star from the list a few years back where mm. I was like, oh, this person got it and enjoyed it. They just put three stars at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's fine. Um, yeah. And like, you know, there've been very good reviews that I've read and been like, I feel like you didn't watch my show. Mm. Or you, have, yeah. Have you had bad reviews where you've gone, yeah, all right. Yeah, it wasn't a good show. I'd say that, yeah, those, that first year one, I read them and obviously I was hoping that the thing I was doing, which was trying to be a bit more freewheeling, sort of like stream of consciousness sort mm. of thing, in hindsight is absolutely fair enough. I probably wasn't good enough to be doing that sort of stuff and there weren't enough clear jokes and, mm. yeah, that is fair enough. And probably at the time it did probably help me go like, right, let's just up the gag rate and... Mm. Up the get more in control of those stream of consciousness bits. So when when did you actually start? So your first year in Edinburgh was 2013. Yeah. I've always just kind of known because I suppose 
I do the circuit, obviously, a lot, but the wind is picking up now. <laughs> I'm sorry, God, yeah, I know yeah. the circuit's not allowed to <laughs> be in Edinburgh. I promise I'll leave, but I'll go back to my nightclub soon. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, and I met you, I probably met you around 2013, 2014, yeah, I yeah. think, because I've known you from up in Edinburgh, obviously, yeah, mostly, yeah. and then from that, that's where we met. But when, was, when did you start comedy? First gig was 2006, but then I'd say I properly started in like 2010. Right. And that's when I started doing the circuit a bit more and trying to get into that. Spent the first four or five years not really liking what I was doing on stage. What were you doing back then? It was just very like split personality sort of. I didn't know who I was on stage, so I'd do like oh, right. uh, a dark joke and then it would be like a really whimsical joke and it would like, mm. sometimes it would, would work and you'd be like, oh, this is great. And then other days the audience is just staring at you like, what the, f- who is this? We don't understand yeah, what's yeah. going on. And I didn't really, I didn't like that. No, no, so. I don't. And yet here we are at Edinburgh. Yeah. Getting it every other day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it is weird how you kind of, I suppose when you're starting out, you're seeing all these different comics. And yeah. you love different kinds of comics. So yeah, you yeah. just try and do all that. So I, I was basically doing Harry Hill, Vic and Bob. Yeah. And then there was a bit of Rick Mail thrown in there. Yeah, sort yeah. Of persona. And then I was trying to do a long-winded Eddie Izzard bit. And it just was... And you kind of go, well, it's all kind of surrealist or absurdist. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't fit. I'd say that's a similar place to me, probably. Because Harry Hill was, stand-up-wise, is what... And there's bits that I look back... When I've rewatched Harry Hill recently, I'm like, oh, he talks about his grand loads. And I'd sort of subtly sort of... I don't have parents in my stand-up. I just never mention my parents. But I mention my nan and nandad. Yeah, yeah. And I was like... Oh, that's almost definitely. I've just swallowed that from Harry Hill and just been like, it's funny to talk about your nan and nandad. He, he doesn't say nandad. That's my that's my creation. Oh yeah. But he talks about his gran, and I'm like, it's funnier to skip your parents out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Is. And you had that big collar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big collar, those massive <laughs> yeah, shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've shaved my head <laughs> into, <laughs> into that. Yeah, studied medicine. <laughs> um, so you start. So how old were you when you started in 2006? Uh, 22. 22, yeah. 23, maybe, yeah. yeah. And um, then you sort of took some time off, you say. And then you were, when you came back, where were your first kind of gigs then? Doing like these sort of like semi-club nights in London. You know, mm. you've got like the big club nights and then you've got like this little cottage industry of like people who run gigs at like five different pubs around town aces of eights and yeah yeah like when you go there you know there might there might be loads of people loving it yeah. or no one and they all and those the few people there will hate it yeah <laughs> do you know bobby carroll uh, i know of bobby carroll yeah so he used to be a stand-up then and he ran a few of those gigs but yeah he he kept booking me even though i kept trying to quit Mm. and I was like oh I'm not going to do gigs anymore and he'd be like no come down and do this one it'll be fun we can hang out and I was like okay fine and that's where I met you know like Chris Boyd and James A. Castor and Ed Gamble and that lot and then was like found sort of what I wanted to do a little bit more yeah and then suddenly it was like oh right now I'm doing co- now I do comedy ah uh, right yeah. yeah so I suppose it just it, it just depends where you start I started in the Midlands yeah and there was just wasn't a scene in the middle. So I, it took me a while. When, once I finally moved to Manchester, then I found a group of people. Right, yeah, yeah. But again, even in Manchester then, there wasn't quite the scene. Like now there's a really great, I think, independent comedy yeah. scene in Manchester. But when I started, it was kind of like a few open mic nights here. So yeah, yeah. We do one every other day. Yeah. Um, 
but it was kind of geared more towards getting ready to do club work, really. Yeah, I, I just knew so little about the industry that I just relied on like people I'd gigged with who I thought were good, just chatting to them a bit, and then they would just they would spot that I knew nothing about what to do. Like I, it wasn't until 2010 that I sort of knew there was an Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. And someone was coming up, a friend, and they were like, oh, do you want to come up as well? I've got a flat. You can sleep on the sofa. Mm. I was like, yeah, what, what is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is where everyone goes to do their shows. I was like, oh, that's where people disappeared to in August. Right. That I ne- didn't know about. So, uh, yeah, and then 2011 did a split bill with two friends and then was just like, oh, right, this is great. Mm. And for me, I was just, I know a lot of people, Edinburgh is so stressful, right? Mm. an intense (laughs) time where they feel like their career is going to be made or broken and I've never felt like my career is going to kick off so I've never had that stress so well if you've never felt that your career as a a stand-up is going to explode you know blow up yeah what is it you want from comedy (laughs) no but without not saying that but like what do you what is it you want from Doing I, re- I really like doing our show. I like doing my show mm. more than I like doing like sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so that's sort of where, you know, it's nice sometimes if you can go to some club and, you know, do 20, 30 minutes and just then leave and get paid properly for it. Yeah, That's fine, but the hit rate on that can be, it can remind me of when I was didn't like being on stage because you can do the same material in Hereford and Ashford and one of them they just stare at you and you're like I don't know what I'm doing differently here (laughs) oh it's mad isn't it yeah Yeah. and it can be a bit intense so doing an hour show sure you're going to have shit shows and you're going to have everything but you're like you're still working on something that you can put as go like that's me that's my Mm. product that's what I've made and I like that more than being like, here's 20 minutes of me being funny. Hmm. Yeah. So that yeah. and getting those into, like every time I think uh, it's probably time to stop doing live comedy and just focus on writing and directing and, you know, that sort of stuff. Something happens where I go, oh, right. So they like that show and something from that show has come off and it's, hmm. okay, I guess I'll keep going. Yeah. And so far... That's just nothing. Just you, about keeping me hanging on. Yeah, but I mean, it's, you, I suppose as well because you you don't just you you're more integrated into comedy, the comedy scene, than just doing stand up anyway as well. Yeah, because you produ- you got your own production company. Yeah, Turtle Canyon. And that always feels mm. like a useful thing as well to be like. Mm. I'd, I don't want to be one of those people that sort of is like, yeah, well, I used to do it, so let me tell you how it is. Yeah. I'd rather keep that. As long as I still enjoy doing comedy, and I think, I think the shows I do are quite good, or they at least have an audience of people that do like what I do. Yeah. That I, as long as it's not an embarrassment, it's like, all oh, right, this uh, this old guy is still fucking doing comedy when he should have quit years ago. Yeah. Because your production company, you've, you've made some pretty big. Well, you've done all of Acasters. We did James um, Acasters Netflix series, and then we did his last special as well, Cold Lasagna, Hate Myself '99. Yeah, which is incredible. Yeah. Really. I mean, how big they are. And I, do, do you do Ed's as well? Ed yeah, we did Ed's. Uh, we did Josh, uh, Joel Domitz, Tom Allen's, Dario Brian's. <laughs> but you um, did Joel Domitz's Pornhub video, though, didn't you? Yes, you yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. What's the? Have you ever been offered that as a production company? Have you ever gone? Someone ever said, "Oh, can you come and film my special?" And you thought, "I don't really want my name on that." Yeah, I tell you what, I did. As I overquoted. Oh, really? So that they would, ch- they would choose not to use me. Well, that is incredible, and I cannot wait to press stop so I can hear who that was. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that yeah. there was like for a little time after that, a few people with the same agent. Like years later, I was chatting with them, and they were like, "Yeah, we were told at Turtle Canyon this sort of super expensive, like overcharge." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I did that for this reason." And they were like, "Oh, that makes sense." Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I asked you for a quote, it was so expensive. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so where did you start the production? What made? Did you study like media production or anything? Or Me and a friend at school, we both had saved up money and bought digital camcorders in sixth form. And right. then we both realized that we could help each other film stuff. Then we were the only two people in our year to not be going to university. So we formed a company to make corporate films, to then make money to pay to make our own stuff. Right. And then that just sort of carried on. Oh, and then right. we just make stuff with, you know, being friends with stand-ups. I was like, oh, we should go and do this thing. We should go and do that. So like with mm. Acaster, we would make, he'd come and be in our... YouTube series that we made back in 2008 mm-hmm. and then he we were like oh, we kept making stuff we made a web series where he, I was supporting him on tour mm. and we were like oh we should just take a camera out and then we realised oh we should go back to Kettering and he should do like a little documentary series there I remember that and then yeah. that led to doing a second series of that which led to about four non-broadcast pilots that didn't get commissioned that led to Base, you know, eventually him pushing to have Turtle Canyon make the Netflix shows. Mm. So that, because um, I know that basically people didn't want to use us. No, and all you need is someone fighting your corner. Yeah, and James is great at that. And yeah. he, he really stands by people that he believes in, which is great because so often in this industry, it is literally just given to the, you know, the person that's always there that has a zero interest in it these days but is a gun for hire sort of thing or university mates and things like that yeah or you you steer to go simply where the money is or, yeah. or the you know it's um and that's something yeah. that i think is like turtle canyon we you know we're not a big company but like we make our money f- from comedy and i think we also try hard to sort of open it up to newer people mm-hmm. we're like well we need to sort of address that balance and sort of you know not pull the ladder up after us yeah. which can happen quite a lot in this industry no no you're right you're right i've definitely had a few ladders probably going down a few snakes as well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not up any ladders recently sadly <laughs> and you uh di- the other thing is you direct a lot of shows now yeah when did you start directing what made you want to make it's that move in 2015 i was gigging with harriet kemsley a lot and was good friends with her and i just I liked her a lot and I just felt like there was something that I could contribute Mm. and so asked and I was wanting to apply like what I knew about directing like filmed stuff Mm. and to try and I don't know I I feel like I'd always had a good grasp on structure and stuff like that and so I wanted to just sort of focus on that and work with a friend and then just liked it a lot good isn't it it's interesting because I, 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 I do all my own shows but it takes me about if I got a director probably wouldn't take me six days to get it quite there yeah yeah it's so theatrical you know. but I'm also very protective and 
I like to do things my own way. So I don't know if I'm very... Yeah, yeah. Even though I do lots of shows with people, I don't think I'm very collaborative, really, which is an odd... And that's the thing as a direct is like, you know, I've worked with a relatively wide-ranging group of people in sort of comedy styles is what I learnt with Harriet is I'd been trying to make her do a bit of material I thought would be a really great additional bit. And she was like, I can't because that is your voice. And she mm. tried it loads, and it was just like it's just it's a Stuart Law's bit, yeah. and working, and that was like you know learning on the job, but then being like, oh, that's really useful to be able to then know when you can push people in certain directions and know when actually that is the wrong voice for them. Mm. Um, I genuinely can't believe someone has now got a microphone downstairs. <laughs> 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 testing, testing, one, two. There's a thing going on downstairs, which I'm assuming... You said it was a playwright thing. They should be quite quiet, and they should just be reading from the, from the manuscript. They probably not think they're having fucking playwright bingo. I hope this. How often do you have to test it? What I would say to them is that it is working. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely working. <laughs> yeah. Anything too well. <laughs> but, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, it's learning as well what... Yeah, I feel like not to push on the people. job as a director is not to come in and be like, this is what you must do and this, but is to push people out of their comfort zone to like go beyond what they would normally do so that they can find the show themselves and that is far stronger than coming in and being like right I've rewritten the show and it should be like this and it should be like that because then it will they won't feel ownership and it's about ultimately it's their show and I think it's important that stand-up shows feel one voice Mm. and so you can't put too much of a stamp on it right so working with like Sakisa is different to working with Alex Keeley mm. and working with Jacob Hawley is different to working with S.S. Sears but they're all yeah really fun and different yeah it's a fascinating pro- a process it really is yeah, what a really process is. so you came up to do a show but you didn't uh, how long were you doing the show for was it, was it just a few days no or? I've been doing the full run you're doing the full run yeah yeah I didn't realise so I wasn't I was only going to do those work in progresses and then I got I added there was a dropout or something like that and they monkey barrel like would you want to do a show and i was like i'd pre because i'd previewed a show last year in the in between right. fringe and so i've just been doing that oh yeah so you got married 2020 one 2021 yeah you've had a vasectomy thank you you're welcome uh, <laughs> thank you for doing it in 2019 it's fine it's, it must be an interesting thing it must be quite a hard thing because normally people have a vasectomy when they've had the children they want. Yeah. But to make that choice, because I've got loads of friends that don't want children. Yeah. But it still baffles people when someone doesn't want children. Yeah. Oh but yeah. But that yeah. is just—it's quite a common. It feels more choice. and more common, and it feels more like it's acceptable to say it. Yeah, yeah. Which is, so I have a line when I talked about the vasectomy in 2019 that was. Uh, if you don't know what a vasectomy means, it means I hate your children and wish they never existed. Yeah. Which is genuinely the like, <laughs> I've had that reaction from people, like yeah, very yeah. nice people who have just had kids and then they find out I've had a vasectomy and they react like I've spite, I, I'm spiteful about their child. Yeah. I'm like, no, your child's nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't want one. Yeah. yeah. You just don't want the human race to continue. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all I want to do. <laughs> I want to cut out my bloodline. How did you, um, your How did I do it? Yeah, how did you do? <laughs> how did your family feel? Although it must have been just like, "Well, it's your choice." Yeah, uh, I, t- I, s- I know my mum was like very eager to be a, is very eager to be a grandmother, 
uh, and so I had to call her up before and say, look, this is what I'm planning to do. Mm. And she was sad about it from that perspective, but is very supportive and understood and has known mm. for years. That's how I felt. And Yeah. And it can be reversed. Yeah. It can That's be, it. although uh, I, I shan't be getting reversed. But I, what I thought was, you know what would be worse now than changing my mind and suddenly being like, oh, maybe I should have had a kid, would be to accidentally have a child that I didn't yeah. really want. No, you're because right. I would obviously throw in and be, you know, go for it properly, but that's not what I want. Yeah, you wouldn't really be happy. Yeah. And neither would they. And they'd feel that, wouldn't they? Yeah, because you'd tell them every day. Yeah, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd point them to all the literature where I wrote about how much I didn't want a kid. The live show. <laughs> yeah, this oh. podcast, play this to yeah. them every day. Daddy's company made this. Yeah. <laughs> Had to sell that, didn't Daddy? Yeah. To pay for your upbringing. Couldn't keep going to the fringe because of you. <laughs> Say bye to Daddy <laughs> and, and Daddy's dreams. That'd be a wonderful presentation. <laughs> and the birthday every year. You've got to go downstairs for your dad's presentation. Happy birthday. Well, it's like, it's like eight, early on, it's like eight to 12 grand a year. Is it? To bring up a kid. Yeah. It's a lot of money. And like, obviously there's other reasons to not have kids. I just don't feel that within me that's the main reason and often when people do want kids they're like oh, i can't i'd love to have kids and no one's like give me three logical reasons why you want them they go exactly. oh it's okay to just want them um and it should be okay to just not want them and not to be like not to try and explain away that you're not traumatized by something that's yeah. the immediate go-to is like what happened in your life to make you not want the beautiful child <laughs> that's the thing that's what's interesting yeah you don't have to explain yourself the other way around but yeah but you do this way around and you should <laughs> yeah. be fucking ashamed of yourself you <laughs> absolute cretin <laughs> do you want kids? Uh, I, very much so yes yeah yes very much so this has uh, been a more serious interview I guess than I would have expected from uh, well, us. It, uh, well weirdly it really has been yeah I didn't expect it to be serious yeah they, but they can go either way oddly because they can because when I'm, I think it's usually when I'm quite fascinated because even though I know you, mm. uh, I've known you for a long time, I don't really know a great deal about mm. you yeah. in that respect. So it's quite interesting to actually sit down with someone. So whereas we always have a very good laugh yeah, generally, yeah. when you actually, it's an odd thing doing these interviews, where you actually sit down with someone, you actually go, no, actually I can find out. I, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, well, let's yeah. find out about this. And it's... Um, when it gets really serious, I'll put in some sound effects. Wow! <laughs> 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 put some jaunty music on it, some clown car noises. <laughs> but Stuart, thank you very much. I do appreciate it. Tell Thanks us the name of me. your show uh, again. What time it's on? Where? Stuart Laws Putting Zoo. Twen- uh, Ten fifteen. Uh, Monkey Barrel. Excellent. Thanks, Stu. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. There will be a follow-up episode with all the best bits from the series. So that'll be a bit of fun, won't it? And I'll do a bit of banter in between so it feels a bit fresh. And maybe some outtakes. So basically all the, all the swear words and, uh, and the bits where they name people. I'll put all those in. Do stay tuned. Subscribe so you can hear about updates about the forthcoming series that will be a weekly one that I'll be hosting in a similar vein. I think we can all agree. I'm the the modern-day David Frost, really, aren't I? Hello? Hello? Anyway, tune in for that. Thanks again, guys. Add us on all the socials at Fringe Binge Pod. And, yeah, take care. Okay, bye.